If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Diana Weeks and Lisa Poleski are in the newsroom. Will Erskine is on the board. Be calm and shovel on. It's a great distraction. Here's Scott Thompson. Hey, does anybody got Jim Dandy on speed dial? Anyone out there? Uh, anybody, we need a Jim Dandy. Any Jim Dandies out there uh, can come in and uh, provide some leadership when uh, rescue us and all this sort of crap. Anybody out there? Hold your hand. All right. It is uh, 308. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It's Hamilton Today. Will Erskine back on the board. And in the newsroom watching the world spin is Diana Weeks and Lisa Pileski. They'll all be joining us around the big round table coming up after the 430 news. You want to hang on for that. And uh, feel free to send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221. Start nine nine hundred on your cell. So uh, one of the issues with, um, and I'm very blessed to be working from home. Uh, although after a couple of years of it, I must have been kind of sick of it. But anyway, um, uh, you don't have the the filing cabinet down the hall to grab uh, uh, pens or anything you need like that. And also at work, you don't have kids that steal things from your office. Um, like I, I came to start on Monday, uh, and my my chair. My office chair was missing. Yes, the chair. Uh, and, uh, oh, um, uh, Alicia's got that up in her room. <laughs> She's doing an exam. Wow. Uh, all right, two years in, and all of a sudden the chair's gone? What? How does that happen? And then I have a little stand that holds my uh, cell phone right in front of me So because you don't have enough screens in front of you when you're doing the show. So, uh, And a friend of mine sent it to me from uh, his uh, company because it was a promotion thing. So what? where is that? It's gone. Where is it? I, I, no, it's gone too. So between pens that go missing, a uh, chair that goes missing, um, the thing that holds your phone that goes missing. The only thing I can really add to this is is now that my son is uh, growing like a weed, uh, literally in front of our eyes, now I'm missing socks and underwear. So at what point does this stop becoming fun? <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I know you didn't ask for that, but I thought I'd share it anyway. All right, another jam-packed show. Oh, really? Please. Who the, who the hell's ordering something? It's not like we don't have enough crap in this house as it is. All right. Uh, we've got uh, another jam-packed show and uh, lots of interesting stuff coming up. We hope you hang around for it. Uh, love to hear from you during all of this, as I mentioned. Did I mention that? Send us a note, Scott Thompson, at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Coming up, uh, we're going to talk uh, about, uh, obviously, con- the Conservatives putting in a uh, new leader, a temporary leader, uh, Candace Bergen, who's uh, can certainly handle her own, uh, will be the interim leader while they decide what they're going to do uh, moving on. Certainly a different... Um 
tone from yesterday uh as you know there's a lot of head hanging yesterday but uh boy you can feel the momentum changing already and uh it'll be interesting to see how this all moves forward also have you heard about the hamilton alliance of tiny shelters or hats this is another cool idea uh to help those uh that are looking for a place in our neighborhood we're going to talk about that coming up a little later on soup fest yeah baby boy do i miss that uh you know why Walking into the convention center, and as soon as you open the door, that's all you smell. Oh, my goodness. Uh, hopefully returning soon, but a, uh, a a virtual sort of in-restaurant experience of Soup Fest. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't raise as much money for Living Rock, but it's, a, it's a great for local restaurants and a way for them to get involved as well. So we'll talk about that uh, coming up a little later on. Also... Uh, we were talking about this yesterday, and Stats Canada did a survey about urban green space, and uh, there's quite a few cities that are, you know, even in the last year, including Toronto, Montreal, um, Calgary, Edmonton, I'm, I'm missing one in there as well, um, that uh, they've actually lost the amount of green space. So as we are coming out of a global pandemic and we're talking about infill in cities, uh, you know, vacant lots, spaces, you know, fill what you've got before you go on before you start going out right but how much of that should be you know tall buildings um stacked together you know we're starting to see the stuff the from uh the olympics in in beijing and it's like wow it's there's a lot of tall buildings there all really stacked close together uh do we want to build more buildings in those infill uh, places or do we want to create green space uh for those so when those are living in the city uh, at least there's a nice balance there as opposed to coming down from the 20th floor and walking out onto concrete. Uh, we're going to talk about that uh, coming up a little later on. Also, uh, an interesting article and, and interesting articles uh, coming out on this issue. Uh, this one in particular in the conversation from uh, uh, Hamilton's own Dr. Z- uh, Zane Chaglia in regard to uh, the polarization and the politi- uh, politicization of COVID-19 is actually fueling vaccine hesitancy and my God, I've been saying this forever. We still always are vilifying the small percentage that aren't instead of celebrating how many are. And now some are becoming hesitant about all of this. It's a fascinating way of looking at this as we come out. Some people don't want to say that. Some people don't want to hear Dr. Bonnie Henry saying, we've got to learn to live with this. Some people don't want to hear Dr. Kieran Moore say, we don't want to, uh, we have to learn to live with this. And, you know, as the premier has said, and a lot of people don't want to hear that. But unfortunately, it's putting us backwards if we don't accept what's happening moving forward. And we must learn to do so uh, because the cost of mental health, the cost economically, it's just... It's just too high price to pay for all of this. So uh, an interesting look and angle on that coming up a little later on uh, in the show. Also, I'm going to talk more political science. Uh, people talking about uh, Doug Ford running for, uh, for, uh, for the Federal Conservative Party. 
which I think seems like a bit of a stretch considering the reason that uh, we're not seeing Candace Bergen uh, running for it is because she's not fluently bilingual. So, uh, and neither is the Premier of Ontario. Uh, although he was trying to uh, pick it up, uh, obviously during COVID, uh, that was put off the rails. So, an interesting show. We hope you hang around for it. I believe that a strong, modern, and united Conservative Party will help our country heal and help our country lead again. I pledge my support and unwavering loyalty to our next leader, and I urge everyone in our party to come together and do the same. That is uh, former leader of the Federal Conservatives, Aaron O'Toole, uh, after being ousted as party leader yesterday. Interim leader uh, Candace Bergen has already been installed, and... Uh, <laughs> All of a sudden, it's a different 24 hours than it was a day ago. And uh, off we go on on the new train, I guess, uh, to talk about what has been happening in, both in and outside of the House. Alex Boudelier is with us, senior national politics reporter with Global News and on the line now. Alex, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised, Alex. I thought I would hear horns in the background. You must have found <laughs> yourself a safe space. Yes, no, I, I've i uh, been working largely from home over the last two years, which is great. The only sounds you'll hear is a, a somewhat uh, excited puppy and, and maybe my wife if she uh, wanders from the home office. So, so uh, can you give us any sort of sense, uh, before we get to uh, the Conservatives and their situation, what, what it is like there and uh, any sort of updates at all? We've heard uh, rumors floating around that uh, the military may be called in, although the Prime Minister has, su- has certainly uh, said that uh, not at this point. Uh, what are your thoughts on where we are and, and what's going on outside? Well, first of all, I, I would like to say um, there's a very, very, very small chance that the military will be involved in this whatsoever. Um, yeah. That started with a comment from Police Chief Peter Soley here in Ottawa that, you know, all options were on the table, including asking for military aid. Sources that, that we've talked to in, in Global's Ottawa Bureau today uh, described that as extremely unlikely. And the Prime Minister did as well publicly in his comments as well. So let's just put that aside. In terms of the mood of the city, um, I would say it's very, very tense. Um, people, especially people who live and work in center town or, you know, in and around the parliament buildings are very, very frustrated. Um, you know, you hear stories about people who have to put in, you know, uh, earplugs and, and, uh, and, and uh, cover their ears to, just to get some sleep at night going on now for, for six days. Um, when you're down there in the in the mix with it, um, the the sound is, uh, yeah, you can't even think. It's just it's yeah. constant. Uh, even uh, from so, what I've heard from reporters that are doing uh, actualities from there, you think, oh my goodness, it's just a continuous uh, noise. Um, what about the police chief saying uh, he doesn't think there's much more the police can do anymore? It's not a police issue anymore. What does that mean? That's a good question. We haven't really got uh, clarification on what exactly he meant when he said there may not be a policing solution to this. You know, I've, I've heard talk over the last couple of days about, you know, there needs to be a political solution to this. And, you know, you, you recall back when um, you had the uh, indigenous protests of, and blockades of, of rail lines, there was a political solution, not a police solution to that. Yeah. The difference here, I would say, is that what the political aims of this protest is, is to dissolve the government and end all public health measures related to COVID-19 from all levels of government. I don't know how any government could find a political solution if that is where the protest is starting from. 
So, so I think that, you know, it's very difficult to envision the prime minister or any other politician sitting down with the organizers of this protest uh, when that is their stated goal and finding some common ground. That being said, Alex, uh, there was a, a person, a lady that stepped forward earlier today, who I unfortunately I can't remember her name, who was speaking on behalf of the protesters. And as you said, that's the starting point. But any negotiation, they're starting from the extremes. Is that really um, is that where the government should be starting? I mean, negotiations are in the middle. Uh, would it not be beneficial for someone? As you said, there's always someone to negotiate, someone to at least say, hey, uh, let's chat and at least calm the waters here, as opposed to just not saying anything. Yeah, I mean, better minds than mine can sort of, you know, expound on that. I'm not here to give give an opinion, but I would say that it's very difficult for, um, I would say it's very difficult for any government of any stripe at any level to find common ground with a protest whose express uh, objective is to dissolve a democratically elected government. Yeah, I, again, I think that's the extreme speaking. All right, let's talk about the Conservative Party here. Obviously, 24 hours ago, there was quite a bit of chaos. Now, a leader, a new interim leader installed in Candace Bergen. What is, has today been like for the Conservatives? Uh, are things uh, settling down for them? Yeah, I would say it's sort of the calm before the next storm for the Conservative Party. Yeah. Right? Things, have, things have settled down after yesterday. Obviously, the anti-O'Toole faction within caucus was successful in forcing him out uh, in quite a defin- like a decisive vote, too. I mean, 73 to 45, um, you know, they clearly won the day. Now it'll be up to, to Ms. Bergen and to whoever the next leader will be to make sure both those 73 MPs and those 45 MPs feel at home in the conservative movement, feel at home in the conservative party, and for, for you know, the leadership of the party to, you know, present a viable alternative to the Liberal government. I think Canadians, whatever they, they may sort of lean to politically, would see political infighting in a party as, you know, disqualifying for running the country. If you can't get your own house together, uh, why should uh, voters give you the keys to 24 Sussex? So I think that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. Ron, Ron Liepert, the Calgary MP, summed it up pretty well yesterday when, you know, he said it, it's basically a, a pretty darn big job to do to keep yeah. a disparate group of politicians like this together. So the next leader, I think, definitely does have their work cut out for them. That being said, Alex, anybody make any statements today or yesterday that said that they were leaning towards it? Or or are we just sitting right now, the latest information is Candace Bergen and everybody else is quiet at this point? Mostly everybody else is quiet at this point, or at least not not public, right? So we've heard rumors about various different politicians, including in the, the GTHA, sort of kicking the tires, you know, giving calls to conservative organizers and people who, you know, have experience running campaigns. Right now, you know, there are a lot of rumors swirling about, so I wouldn't feel comfortable sort of naming any names. Uh, that said, uh, Pierre Polyev, the, the Ottawa area MP, who's been a longtime uh, conservative MP, former Harper era cabinet minister, um, there are a lot of people within the movement hoping that he will run. And I think that if he does decide to run this time, which he didn't do last time, um, then he would be the prohibitive favorite. Alex Boudelier with a senior national politics reporter, Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight for more on all of this. Alex, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Always a pleasure. Stay safe. 327 News on the way. 
All right. Obviously, um, all you have to do is look around and and watch any local news outlets to find that homelessness is a problem in this city, as it is in many. And a coalition of anti-poverty advocates hopes that local officials support a plan to build some small cabins for homeless people at the site of uh, a former uh, shuttered high school in downtown Hamilton, that being Sir John A. MacDonald. Uh, the Hamilton Alliance of Tiny Shelters, HATS, uh, launched January 31st. It's dedicated to providing safe, warm shelter and supports those experiencing homelessness in the city and aims uh, to uh, bridge the gap, uh, a, commu- a temporary community meant to bridge the gap between housing and the streets. And supporters of the project are speaking about it before Hamilton's Emergency and Community Services Committee uh, during its meeting uh, coming up just this afternoon. So to talk more about all of this, Ted McMeekin is with us, former Ontario Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing and member of the HATS leadership team. Ted is with us now. Ted, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing fine, Scott, and thanks for uh, having us on. Obviously, this has been an ongoing issue. Tell us about this idea and and where the idea came from. Well, it's uh, modeled on uh, Kitchener's Better Tent City. Uh, that's an award-winning uh, community development project that uh, uh, has secured a safe and secure site uh, surrounded by uh, various uh, health and mental health uh, uh, you know, addiction treatment services and what have you. And uh, uh, so they have, uh, I think, 52 people living in 49 sheds, uh, a couple of couples. Um, it's been a very good experience. I say award-winning because the region of Waterloo uh, just gave them the Community Development uh, Barn Raiser of the Year Award for their outstanding uh, work. And uh, The site is uh, quite transformational. There are people getting uh, new perspectives on their lives and uh, and uh, moving forward, uh, you know, with with their lives. How how long has Kitchener's uh, been in operation? Three years. So they're obviously at the point where they're seeing results. Yes, uh, they are. And uh, they have um, a situation there where there are odd uh, projects and jobs that uh, uh, the residents uh, do, and they actually earn some money and some keep, and they pick up some skills, and and some are back to school, some are uh, are working, uh, you know, half time or more, and uh, it uh, is coming coming together. About twenty six percent of the residents are on a on a methadone uh, drug treatment plan to kick a heroin addiction, which is uh, got to be good news for anybody concerned about drugs. I know you just had something to show on about that. So, and you're talking about wraparound services. So with this community there, the services come to them as they need them. Is that accurate? Yes, that's, that's correct, uh, Scott. Uh, there are a number of um, services that are available. Uh, uh, to their credit, to the city council's credit, uh, they have acknowledged uh, quite openly the uh, need to do some capacity building uh, with respect to these services, you may recall in the news last week, uh, there was a request to the provincial government for $5 million to enhance uh, mental health services. So uh, lots of things are going on and there are lots of people struggling. And uh, like uh, like so many first line uh, responders, uh, there's a lot of burnout uh, in, the, out in the cold uh, communities. 
This almost sounds, Ted, like, um, you know, it's very similar to the services a shelter may provide, but this gives you independence in your own space. Is that accurate? I think that, I think that's true for some people. The uh, simple truth, uh, Scott, is that not one model fits all. Yeah. There are some people that are... Um, uh, facing service restrictions because they're uh, maybe they own a pet. Uh, pets aren't allowed in hotels or shelters. They may have a drug problem. Uh, there may be a couple. Uh, couples uh, have been discontinued uh, uh, from the city's uh, housing of homeless people. Uh, you know, they may have some mental health challenges. Uh, so, you know, they're about uh, maybe 25% of those that are chronically homeless uh, uh, who are uh, facing restrictions and uh, just don't fit into the shelters. Uh, veterans are the uh, most, uh, in terms of numbers, the the, the highest numbers of uh, homeless folk, uh, uh, veterans suffering from uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. They happen to like shelters. Uh, maybe it's the military background. They they like some, uh, some structure. But there are others that uh, just can't countenance that uh, and of course, we got a pandemic on too, so it's very difficult to uh, be asking people to cluster with people they don't know, and uh, and it's tough. It uh, living rough is is dangerous too. So we you know we got to we got to this is this is a this is a real humanitarian crisis. It's complex, and you know what, Scott, it's going to get worse. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Ted. Uh, obviously, this is meant to a solution for tent cities and things like that that uh, may be erected. Um, what would be the difference between something like this and a tent city? Uh, what's to say you won't have the same problems in one that you do the other? Well, an incredible difference. This would be, uh, in a sense, uh, um, I hesitate to use the word, but it's the best word I can come up with. It would be a bit of a gated community um, with uh, 10, maybe 20 uh, cabins, uh, would form their own community, would, uh, to as large an extent as possible, govern themselves. There'd be uh, an understanding of what the uh, regulations are, for example, Um, and uh, the experience in in Kitchener has been very, very positive. and uh, so uh, the tent city uh, isn't uh, isn't making anybody happy. Uh, you know, tents in neighborhood parks uh, uh, it's it's difficult. Our our police uh, uh, group has had difficulty. Uh, you're you're going in if you if you're enforcing bylaws, you're tearing tents down. You've got arrests going on. Mm. It's just a lot of uh, social upheaval and a lot of tension that. Uh, we think can be replaced if people want to live in a tent because they feel a sense of uh, of uh, community or um, uh, they feel good about themselves because of that. If we can take that sort of objective and put it in a setting where where they're safe and where people can can locate them if there's a problem and where they can get some of the kinds of uh, assistance that they identify as as needing, uh, that's good. That. Uh, that speaks well. The Association of Police Chiefs, by the way, wrote a, a major paper on this, and uh, they really, uh, really like the model because they they don't have to go looking for a park if there's a mm. drug overdose or something. Looking. So, for who would a, manage a the site, Ted? Who manages the actual site itself? Well, there'd be two two people, full time people hired. It'd be uh, 
they'd be uh, site um, coordinators and uh, they would be there. Um, there would be in, in Kitchener, for example, they have two staff people and about 70 volunteers uh, who play different roles. You have different, uh, the residents do their own uh, breakfast and lunch in uh, in uh, big uh, construction trailers, mm. they, they, you can make uh, the soup and uh, coffee and sandwiches. And then uh, different groups uh, bring uh, dinner in um, each night. And uh, the volunteers, uh, uh, in many, many instances, befriend those there and uh, some, some Christmas with them. You know, it was, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's it, it sounds like a partnership. It sounds like we finally might be looking at a solution here instead of what we've seen in the past, which is great. Ted McBeacon with us, former Ontario Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, member of the HATS leadership team. That's the Hamilton Alliance of Tiny Shelters and uh, the Before Council today to talk about all of this. Ted, uh, great idea, fascinating idea. Good luck moving forward. Well, thanks very much. We think it's it's not the answer, but it uh, certainly is a, a progressive uh, step that will help a lot of people. All right. Uh, I remember the very first Soup Fest and the second and third and all of the ones that have come after that. And uh, it's a uh, great uh, fundraiser fundraiser for Living Rock Youth Center, uh, which is a local long, uh, nonprofit for youth in Hamilton. Soup Fest kicks off today. Uh, and Living Rock's been supporting vulnerable youth since 1985. The Soup Fest uh, this year runs from February 3rd to 21st, but a different spin, obviously, uh, because it's sort of the pandemic version of. And hopefully next year uh, we'll get back to the convention center or something and, and, and be able to meet in person in uh, in a bigger way. But let's bring in Julie Conway, Operations Director for Living Rock Youth Resources. And with us now, Julie, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Yes, thank you, Scott. And thank you for being a super supporter of Soup Fest all these years and your support through Chorus. It's been amazing. And, you know, it's the social event of, of, of the season, for sure, uh, although virtually it's a little hampered. So we remember the old days. We used to all go into the uh, the convention center. I think it started, uh, or we remember being at the at Leuna for a while. That's and then right, for the first seven years. Yeah, then exploding into the convention center. And, and basically, uh, you would go in, you'd f- see all of these restaurants from all around the Hamilton area, and they'd have these little displays done up, and they'd each have a signature soup. And, and basically, you, you go in, and with your admission, you get so many samples, and you go and you get these little things from place to place to place to place. And then you got to try to judge which one is the best. And it's based on soup and the, the presentation and la, 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 la. So this is all going on while, you know, bands are playing and things are going on and stuff so it's really quite an incredible atmosphere uh just to be a part of now all of a sudden COVID 19 hits throws a stick in the spokes of that tell everybody how you've been doing it during the pandemic so uh for the last this will be our second year we've um sort of pivoted just like everybody else has and so we have 15 participating restaurants who will be offering a signature soup available during their hours of operation february 3rd to february 21st and all the details of the soup offerings how uh, what price they're offering it for and when you can pick them up are all available through our website at www.livingrock.com and if you Google Soup Fest, I'm sure it'll just pull up as well. And so each of these restaurants um, has put together a wonderful offering and they are then donating a portion of that to Living Rock. And so we really hope uh, for this event that this 
will support them uh, with added business and then also generate support for Living Rock. We have encouraged our restaurant supporters to uh, build their donation amount into the price so that they won't be out of pocket. And this event really is just launching at the perfect time. You know, restaurants are just reopening. It's never yeah. been a better time to show up and support. They really, really need us. Many restaurants have said like they're just holding on by a thread. I cannot echo that like any louder. It's been so tough for them. So we really would love to see this event be a boost for their uh, revenues and um, an encouragement to them as it will be to us as well. We have amazing sponsors that have partnered with us uh, who uh, will also be supporting us financially. And so uh, through our sponsors, we've almost raised $20,000. A huge thanks to Grasso Hooper Law, who's been supporting us now for 20 years. And we just have a whole host of amazing sponsors who just, you know, stood with us and are just behind us and the local restaurants as well. Well, the great thing about Soup Fest was you could come in and you'd see all these soups and you go, oh, look at that. I've never heard of that restaurant or where did that one open up? Da, 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 da. So then it would introduce you to the restaurants. Now you can actually go and not only sample the soup, but sample the rest of the restaurant as well. So this is a great idea. Yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, I just think we're doing we're all doing the best we can in the midst yeah. of this pandemic. And uh, this is just a great uh, second best option for us. And so looking forward, of course, being together, hopefully all together next year. But again, uh, maybe you wouldn't have tried going to the restaurant uh, unless you had a reason to try their soup. So this is a chance to sort of dip your feet in and get to know maybe some new local restaurants. And there's a great lineup. Like, it's just really amazing to see the offerings this year. And here's hoping that next year, fingers crossed, you never know, we're all back to back together again and, and sampling in, in person, per se. So if people want to participate, what do they do? They go to your website and view who's involved. Uh, where do we do that? That's right. Yeah, livingrock.ca, and uh, you'll get a pop-up right when you show up there, and it'll direct you to all the information that you need to sort of map out your soup tour. And uh, again, those soups will be available February 3rd <laughs> to February 21st during their hours of operation, and there's just a great lineup of soups available soup tour i love that it's the soup fest soup tour man that's a great idea uh julie conway operations director living rock youth resources uh soup fest can't do it the same way as normally uh but now uh into the restaurant we go or order or what have you and sample that way julie thanks so much for the time good luck with this year's edition thanks scott take care bye-bye what matters to you, what matters to Hamilton, matters to Scott. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Here's what uh, Dr. Moore had to say about where we are today and winding this thing down. On Monday, Ontario started the gradual reopening, and I want to thank Ontarians for the sacrifices they have made that allowed us to get to this point. Because of your efforts to help blunt the transmission of Omicron, our healthcare indicators suggest a general improvement in the COVID-19 situation in the province. Thank you. While the coming weeks will continue to be difficult for our hospital system, the number of hospitalizations is currently stable, and given current trends, we are more confident in our ability to ensure capacity across the province so that all Ontarians can get care at the right time and at the right place. ICU numbers remain high, but the number of COVID-19 patients are now starting to decrease, and we have increased capacity to provide care to those who need it. The percent positivity of tests continues to decrease, with our average this past week declining to 14.64% 
from 18.4% the week prior. Based on the current stabilization in Ontario's testing strategy, this is likely reflective of a real decline. Long-term care outbreaks are also declining, and we recently saw the first decline in the number of active resident cases in long-term care since the Omicron variant became the dominant strain. There has also been an increase of wastewater sites across the province reporting a downward trend in COVID-19 detections. These trends are encouraging, but we must remain vigilant and adhere to the measures that are helping reduce transmission. And here's Dr. Kieran Moore on learning to live with this endemic. With these tools that we now have in place, uh, I think the, the discussion has to occur. Uh, and um, we have to decide as a society how many public health measures we want to just recommend and or maintain in a legal fashion uh, to limit the spread of the viruses. All right, Dr. Kieran Moore speaking earlier today. You know, it's fascinating um, watching, you, you know, what these protests have become and how it should have never, never, ever got to this point uh, at all. And, you know, I think it's realistic to say, you know, who do these truckers think? You're not going to get the government to reverse its protocol. That's probably right. But you're also not going to get 100% vaccinated. And when you've got 82% five plus vaccinated and China sitting at 86, what the hell do you want from us? Honestly, uh, you can see why people are getting frustrated, fully vaccinated, had it, lived to tell. But now it's time that we move on and stop using this as a distraction away from our uh, highly neglected and underfunded uh, Canadian healthcare system, uh, the workers of which are screaming for help. All right, let's get away from COVID. Uh, but something that COVID has done is made us change the way we think about how we live and the space around us and so on and so forth. And there's been lots of chatter, especially in the Hamilton area around uh, the boundaries. Obviously, uh, there is uh, a great need for all kinds of housing uh, at either end of the spectrum. And um, the big debate, the big question is, how do we go about doing this lots of chatter rather than expanding any boundaries in any cities and such but filling in those uh those lots and sites and in blocks and such that are already in uh cities that perhaps aren't being used however uh stats canada a recent survey uh the first survey of urban green space shows that um in fact we're losing some green space in some of uh, uh canada's major cities biggest cities including toronto vancouver montreal uh, in Calgary, where uh, over the last year they've actually lost uh, green space in their downtown core. How do we find the balance here? Let's bring in Dr. Patrick Moore, Associate Professor, UBC Landscape Architecture Program, University of British Columbia, and with us now. Patrick, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Yes. Hi, Scott. Uh, just a minor correction. It's Patrick Mooney, not Patrick Moore. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I said Mooney. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Patrick Mooney is with us. Uh, you know, we've certainly seen uh, the conversation uh, talking about in infill in city lots and such. Um, should we be taking these spaces and building more buildings? Uh, should we be taking these spaces 
uh, and creating more green space. So there's at least an alternative for those that, that live in, in high rises and such, or obviously a balance of the both, uh, I'm sure is the correct answer. But how, how do you balance this when, you know, I'm looking at shots of Beijing, China, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, stacked up like cordwood, and mm-hmm. it seems there's concrete everywhere. How do you find the balance? Should we be using these infill sites for parks? as well right. as, or instead of buildings. Right. Um, it's obviously a complicated question, and the answers are almost site-specific. In other words, mm-hmm. what would work on a residential lot in Toronto uh, might not be appropriate in Singapore, and what we do at a regional scale in Hamilton um, might be appropriate to do in Barcelona. Uh I'm not trying to equivocate here just to kind of unfold the complexity of the problem. Uh, okay, let's take your Beijing example. Um, 15 years ago, I used to work in Beijing, and one of the last projects I worked on was a 1,000-unit high-density apartment building. But Beijing has a 50% open space bylaw, which meant that 50% of the site had to be open. And uh, so that 1,000-unit apartment building had a 10-acre uh, interior courtyard. The problem was that interior courtyard was almost entirely paved. Um, yes. So first thing we need to do is differentiate between open space and green open space. Because green open space is what people need psychologically, and it's what we need to preserve uh, biodiversity in urban regions. So you're right. um, As we densify, um, we lose lose mostly private open space. A scenario I looked at in Vancouver last year, they're densifying on the Canby Corridor. Developers buy up. A number of single-family homes, it's rezoned, towers go in, and the open space that's left is, first of all, not green, and secondly, less in area. And Mm. so that explains how cities across Canada and the world are losing open space. Okay, so how do we solve it? Um, I think the first thing is government mandate. So uh, developers will always do what they're allowed to do, and they, um, of course, want to maximize number of units or density because that maximizes their profits. So it's up to all levels of government to control that. Um, Here's an interesting example. In some parts of Singapore, Singapore is noted as probably the greenest city in the world, In some parts of Singapore, they have a 100% green space requirement. So let's say we had a three-acre development site, and uh, it was all open, even if just filled with weeds. The developer would be required to produce three acres of green space after he built his or her project. So what we see happening in uh, developments like Marina One in Singapore is um, interior courtyards, balconies, um, massive buildings just dripping with interior and exterior 
natural areas attached to the building. So that's one of the scenarios that we're seeing um, really around the world, these new buildings where people actually experience nature within the building. Um, I remember it wasn't that long ago. I remember it wasn't that long ago that we stopped putting balconies on buildings, which, you know, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you at least got to get out somewhere. Uh, Has the attitude changed? And we've only got a few seconds left. Has the attitude changed post or as we're coming out of this pandemic? Has the attitude changed as a result of of the global pandemic? Uh, I would say if we if we're answering answering globally, no. The current trends are what you described in your introduction. That is a reduction in public and private open space in cities. Um, of course, there's many exceptions around the world, um, but I wouldn't say that the trends are anywhere near reversed in the last two years. Mm. Dr. Patrick Mooney with us, Associate Professor, UBC Landscape Architecture, University of British Columbia. Doctor, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Bye now. Where's my bell? All right. Good afternoon. It is 436. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine is on the board in the newsroom, making their way around the big virtual table. Diana Weeks and Lisa Pileski. Uh, Table heads, thanks for joining us. I hope you're all doing well. Yeah, staying warm when as we watch the snow fall outside, more snow again. Yeah. I wish I was all there with you and if you if we were there and we didn't have to wear masks, I'd run around and give you all a noogie just to shake you up and uh, say, "Ah, how are you today?" cuz well, I got a feeling there's kind of a funk in, <laughs> in the city today. And I don't like, know if oh, I want a noogie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that inappropriate? It hurts. If an old guy yeah, <laughs> if it hurts. No, it just ruffles up your hair a little bit, you know. All right, let's move on. Uh, all right, we'll start with the poll question of the day. As we always, what would work instead of a noogie? Because I can't hug you anymore. Because that's not allowed. A gentle, what would you do? gentle pat on the head, <laughs> or a fist bump. Oh yeah, <laughs> elbow bump. You know. Oh man! All right, all right. Uh, a gentle pat on the head. Be there treated like an old cat. Chin <laughs> <laughs> <Gin> scratch. <laughs> yeah, I hear. You know. Oh, never mind. We'll talk about pets later. All right. Poll question of the day: uh, Will Doug Ford run for the federal leadership? Seventy-eight percent of you are saying no. Obviously, I think the big uh, issue is here. You have to be very fluent in French in order to do so. And Doug Ford, although he said he's taken lessons at one point that has stopped during the pandemic. Uh, Diana Weeks, we'll start with you. Uh, Your thoughts, DF, run for the leadership. Well, he said he's not going to. So I'd like to believe that he wants to just focus on the province and his duties as premier. Um, And uh, I think he would have been a little bit more elusive had he had plans to run. Um, But Mm, you never know. I mean, you never know. Wow, that's the reporter in you. Good for you. All right, Lisa, what are your thoughts? <laughs> no, I definitely uh, echoing Diana there. She said it's pretty succinctly. I mean, he he said on the air with Rick Zamprin that he he doesn't have that he wants to focus on the province. And I mean, there's been a lot of pushback from kind of all sides of the political spectrum to mm. his response to the pandemic uh, in Ontario. So I, I don't foresee it going well if he went to, to a wider uh, tried to uh, get wider recognition throughout Canada. I mean, I I personally can't see that happening and uh, i think he's pretty happy where he is yeah he may have peaked uh uh will what are your thoughts on this yeah i think dougie just wants to rest a la maison stay at home (laughs) stay stay at home focus on ontario and what he's doing here i I, thought that was gonna get i thought someone would hit a drum a snare at the end i think he was referencing an actual that was a quote that that, yes that's that's what 
Yeah. There we go. Thank you, Ringo. <laughs> yeah, that's what he had said at a press conference a while back. He said, reste à la maison. And unfortunately, I mean, you can't, you know, the guy obviously tried to speak French, but if we're talking that you need to be bilingual for the new role, <laughs> yeah. he's got no. some work to do. <laughs> and again, I think we'd see Candace Bergen, uh, interim leader in there in the ring, if that was the case, if he didn't have to be bilingual. All right, let's talk about uh, Ottawa, because we have to. Uh, should the Prime Minister meet with protesters and just get this over with? What is to lose? I said this to Will off air. Uh, you know, even if nothing comes uh, out of it, I mean, is it not? is it not the next step? Because I'm not sure what the next step is. Diana, uh, should the PM meet with the protesters? No, I'm going to say absolutely not uh, for a couple reasons. Um, and, you know, before, you know, we start getting the calls into the newsroom saying we're all tr- tr- Trudeau supporters, I'm not going to show any political bias here. I'm not saying I'm a fan of the guy. I'm not saying I'm not a fan of the guy. Well, what I'm saying is it doesn't make sense for his safety or security to go down there because the people that are there right now, I, be- I, I don't think he would go down there. I think, you know, he would send people down and it's like, is there anybody in charge here that wants to meet in a separate room with the prime minister? And then that's how it would no, happen. I don't I, think he'd be wandering down there, you know, dropping a knee or anything. I don't think so. I don't think it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they you need to do that. Lisa, your thoughts? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, the fact that you hear that police are afraid to kind of tangle with this crowd. Yes, I know, I understand that if you maybe isolated a couple of them in a room, but I still don't foresee that being a wise idea, not not only for safety reasons, but also, I mean, these people are holding downtown Ottawa hostage. Like, they are, they are basically showing that if you do something like this, you can, if he did meet with them, they can, you know, you whatever you want to do you can just park a bunch of trucks downtown and you can get your way that's that's what that message would send if he were to meet with them and i really don't think it's a good idea to reward their childish behavior sorry interesting agreed i 100 percent agree yeah i I don't agree with you two but that's fine that's what this is all about uh i think he should meet with them uh in a uh, separate area secure area and, and just at least uh from a symbolic gesture uh at least try to find out if there is uh, any common ground. I mean, we all start from the extremes. The solution is in the middle. Uh, Will, your thoughts on this? Uh, I'm just going to try to cover an area that we haven't touched on. I'm not sure even if they did meet over a Zoom call or take open lines on a radio station or something like that. I, I, I'm i not sure it would be productive in any I'm way. I'm not sure it would be at all, but, you know, it's what do you do next? Did you, did you bring the army in? Yeah, well, he, Will's just answering the phone, speaking of people calling the phone <laughs> lines, but I, I, maybe the army would be necessary. I don't know what the situation forward, yeah. but it's really discouraging to hear the Ottawa chief of police say that policing is not the solution here, because if that's not the solution, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what we can do. That's a valid point. All right, uh, let's move on. Will you be watching the Olympics, or has politics, COVID-19, the pandemic, whatever, uh, left you disinterested? What are your thoughts on the Olympics, Diana? Well, right now, you know, with all the negative stuff that's that's going on and all the anger out there, I think that the Olympics will be a nice distraction. You know, sports is obviously a very unifying thing uh, around the world, and I and I personally am looking forward to it. Right now, I'm not as much into it as I might have been in years past, and that's only because of all the other stuff that's going on right now. Um, I feel like maybe it's not the most um, pressing topic, but I do hope that Canada's teams do well, and I hope that, um, you know, we can all... This is all done safely and everything is is good. 
Lisa, your thoughts? Uh, will you be watching, or has uh, the distraction of COVID-19 and politics uh, left you disinterested? Well, I mean, I think the the Winter Olympics are usually my favorite ones because the sports are some of the coolest ones. You got all the cool ski jumps and mm. things like that. The ice dancing, those are that's always really cool to watch. Um, and I overall in this situation, I always feel just bad for the athletes. The fact that yeah. they've been training their whole lives to get here, and so many disruptions have yeah. gotten in the way. There's the politics to have mentioned. You know, the fact that it's in Beijing, like it's just a it's just a nightmare situation for them. But I all they want to focus on winning and bringing home the gold and it's just such kind of a it's it's kind of a wholesome positive thing to focus on in the midst of a lot of really dark and depressing news that we're dealing with so i i i will probably be tuning in at least a little bit well your thoughts uh do you think we'll be watching uh, I'm definitely going to end up watching it pretty much for the same reasons Lisa said. The Olympics, even though... It's a I'm, nice distraction. It's a nice distraction. It's a fun time. You get cool mythic stories out of it, and you get to see what people are capable of when they put their mind to something. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Wyrton Willie came out yesterday, predicted an early spring. Uh, we had a snowstorm yesterday. Obviously not that bad, although it is hanging on. Have you had enough of winter yet in this first week? of uh of february are you fine with it all i will start with you diana i don't know i i mean i it's february it's canada you know snow is to be expected uh the the first one we had i mean that was a little much just because uh, we couldn't get out of our street Mm. um but you know i i yesterday was you know paled in comparison to what that was uh just for you know for driving around and, and stuff like that. So, no, I, I don't really bother. It doesn't really bother me. But again, I get to work inside, so I can't really speak for all those folks who have to work outside because I'm sure that that's not very pleasant. <laughs> Good point. I think I got another month or so left in me. Lisa, what about you? Have you had enough yet? No, I'm still okay with it. And I'm one of those people who has always been kind of a, a have a soft spot for winter because I remember yeah. playing in the snow as a kid. And now that I have like, my nephews are living back in Hamilton and I'm seeing the snow through their eyes, you know, they grew up in mm. an Arctic climate but they're back in normal temperatures when it when it's winter time so they're able to go tobogganing and i go tobogganing with them i love it for that reason all right thank you table heads diana weeks lisa poleski william erskine all around the big round table talking about the issues of the day and ending with a beautiful canadian winter thank you table heads much appreciated You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Serving Canada has always been the honor of my life, whether it is in a flight suit or in a business suit, and I will never stop serving Canada. That is former leader of the federal conservatives, Aaron O'Toole, when uh, he was ousted yesterday in a uh, departing speech he uh, gave. Let's bring in Jean-Vierre Tellier, professor political, uh, sorry, professor school of political studies, at University of Ottawa, and is with us now. Jean-Vierre, t- thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. I hope the same for you. Thank you so much. Uh, obviously, the last 24 hours pretty chaotic for the Conservatives. There seems to be a bit of stability now as Candace Bergen uh, has now installed as uh, interim leader. Your thoughts on the last 24 hours for them? Oh, my God. There was a lot of events. Uh, and I was. Uh, it was a brutal event because, in the sense, we did not see it coming until a few hours before. And so I wonder about the process. You know, that's a new procedure. It's the first time that we use it where MPs could outset a leader. Uh, but I was surprised by the time, the, 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 the small time it took. So we, within a few hours, everything was decided. And so I'm wondering if we should not revisit this rule and allow a few days at least for a 
leader to to be prepared for such a a push out and so uh that's kind of strange so but it, now that being said yes is that is this for all political parties or just this party I think it's for all political parties because it is enshrined in a piece of legislation in the law. And so uh, it is kind of a automatic uh, procedure. And so once you have the votes, uh, it goes it goes on and, and it is done very rapidly. Um, and so and this was uh, adopted at a time where we thought the leader had too much power and was not listening to, to its uh, base, its caucus, uh, DMPs, uh, which I don't think necessarily was the case now. So uh, I'm not sure about the validity of such a, a measure. I understand the objective, but I'm not sure it is uh, serving well uh, the Conservative Party uh, in general and, and uh, all party uh, to that effect. Obviously, uh, Aaron O'Toole trying to bring the party to the center, that didn't work. Well, uh, well, is it that that didn't work or the way that he was doing it? I've heard both uh, sides of that coin. I've seen both sides of that coin. Um, what direction do you think this party will end up going? Um, I'm hearing a lot people wishing that the Conservative Party moves to the center and does it more clearly. So probably mm. the problem with Aaron O'Toole is that he caught, he caught everybody by surprise in doing so. Right. He was elected as a leader uh, on the right side of the spectrum. And once he was the leader, he pushed more to the center and probably did not explain it well to its caucus and its base. So that may be part of the problem. But I'm not sure the party is going there. And so, uh, yes, there are some wishes that I hear. I hear it a lot in center Canada. So in Ontario and Quebec, the maritime, but that doesn't mean it will happen. And, uh, there are still a strong base, a strong movement that wants the party to be more on the right side of, of the political spectrum. And so, uh, we'll see how it unfolds. But uh, most of the members are part of that are more to the right than to the center. They will decide the future of the, the conservative party. Um, and so I'm not that optimist as, as optimist as I hear others being, if they wish to have the center more as a big tent, a big conservative tent that would bring together everybody. I'm not sure they are there now. What candidate in your mind would bring them closer to the center? If Aaron O'Toole for- could Yes, that's that's the point. Uh, for me, it's not even a candidate. I, I think it is too soon to talk about a candidate. Right. I think that the Conservative Party have to think about its membership to start. And my sense is that many uh, many Conservative Canadians are not part of this membership. Uh, the, conserv- the, conserv- the Conservative Party is not able to reach them, to hear them. And so they must revisit how they they, they, they connect with them. And I don't know if you recall a few years ago, uh, the Liberals in 20, uh, in 2012, uh, they've decided that the next leader would be chosen not just by Liberal members, but by Liberal sympathizer, if I could say so. Anybody mm. that doesn't have its card, its membership was allowed to select the next uh, leader. And we had Justin Trudeau. And I think that this exercise was interesting because they've tried to replicate what would be a, an election. And so how do you reach to the most as Canadian as mm. most as you can? Yes. The conservatives are not there. Uh, and I think they should rethink their membership, rethink how they launch a leadership campaign, who could apply to it, who could select uh, the leader and try to be a bit more representative of the right in Canada. Because I think that for the moment, they are not there. And I don't see any candidate that could 
that is thinking like that and that is bringing this point now. And so I think that's the main point for me. Do you think this convoy or protest had anything to do or bearing on this or was this in the works and was going to happen either way? It probably triggers all the event came probably sooner than expected. Uh, it seems there were some rumors that many were dissatisfied and, and they would have pushed O'Toole anyway. Uh, probably the convoy did not show Erin O'Toole under the best position because he kind of changed his mind, was a bit uh, cautious in his way of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it just precipitated uh, the outcome, but eventually it would have come to the same thing. I, I do, you, do you think, uh, Jean Viev, that that the prime minister should meet with uh, at least a couple of these protesters at a neutral, safe site, just for a symbolic uh, conversation, just to at least try to resolve this? I'm not sure. I don't know who are the leaders. I think that uh, some of the leaders were the same that were echoing Trudeau during the election campaign. So I'm not sure it would necessarily be a good thing. Um, I would probably be more in favor of something sending somebody else than Trudeau, but somebody from the party. Well, at least uh, sending someone. Speak. Yes, someone to speak with them. And, but the difficulty is to find who's really the spokesperson of that movement. It's a bit like the yellow what does it say? What does seen. it say, Jean Viev, that the fact that you can't find a spokesperson, that there seems to be so many elements of this? It's it's a new uh, it's a new phenomenon that we are seeing, uh, and it's not just about that here in Canada. We're seeing it a bit all over the world, and so it seems that probably the uh, social media are able to bring together diverse group, uh, diverse individual together for one cause, but it, it's very uh, it's very difficult to, 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 to see exactly who they are. It's not a well-structured organization. As I just said, it reminds me of the yellow jacket in Europe we saw mm-hmm. a few years ago yeah. about taxation, the same event. And so uh, many people are there for different reasons, but they want to protest. They are probably tired of the pandemic as we are all, and, and they want to voice their concern. Jean-Viave Tellier with us, Professor of School of Political Studies, University of Ottawa. As always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. You too. Thank you. Dr. Zane Chagley is with us, infectious disease specialist with St. Joseph's Hospital and an associate professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases, Department of Medicine with McMaster University. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, uh, it's indeed. Interesting piece. Uh, you co-wrote a piece on politicization and the punitive measures uh, that are causing more vaccine hesitancy. The article analyst uh, analysis politicizing COVID nineteen vaccination efforts has fueled vaccine hesitancy, and this can be read in the conversation. W- what are you saying there, and, and and how do you explain the divisiveness we're seeing despite having such a high vaccination rate? Yeah, absolutely. So you know. I think we, we yeah, absolutely, we can be very, very thankful that the vast majority of people in Ontario and Canada rolled up their sleeve and, and again, very thankful that uh, people did it out of their own accord or with um, with consultation with trusted either medical specialists, family members, peers, however it got done. We had 77% of Ontario fully vaccinated before there was even a vaccine mandate in place mm. and, and that was really grassroots efforts. And, uh, and and getting to the ground efforts. But I think, you know, as we start moving forward, as we start talking about third doses, um, we really have to talk about how 
difficult we're going to make it to people to uh, mandate that. And, and I think there are real ethical issues that need to be talked about. The fact that, you know, an 18-year-old, do they really need three doses versus two doses? Probably not unreasonable, but should we keep them out of society because they haven't got three doses? The 10 to 30% of people that probably got infected over the last couple of months, according to the Ontario Science Table data, that have probably gotten a booster dose that way. Um, and, you know, I think we're also seeing politicians use these as platforms to, to, to you know, point to governments and say, you're not being strong uh, and uh, you're not mandating for safety in our population, where, you know, there are huge ethical, there are huge equity issues here that really do need to be examined outside of the political lens. And I'll, I'll say, you know, as a clinician that vaccinates patients and talks to patients about vaccines, it's a whole lot easier to have that discussion about why you need a third dose when it's coming from a position of me counseling a patient, you know, me you know, looking out for that patient and, and caring for that patient. It's a whole lot harder of a conversation when that patient says, I need to get a third dose for work, but I don't want to. Why are you forcing me to? And I think that's another piece that we really have to be careful of as this next few months roll through. Uh, it was interesting because last week, uh, early last week, both Dr. Bonnie Henry from British Columbia and Dr. Kieran Moore from Ontario basically said, we've got to learn to live with this. And that upset a lot of people that did not necessarily uh, want to hear it. Again, how, how do we explain we're being we're so divided and so angry, yet we have such a high percentage of the population uh, vaccinated, which is something to be patting ourselves on the back about. And instead, yeah, yeah. we're instead we're arguing about the last ten percent that aren't vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and and you know, I, I can get it. They cause health system strain. It's a problem, and, and you know, I, I think there is a need to really make sure that we get doses to the appropriate people. Um, but how are we going to do that? Right? You know, there are vaccines have been available for a year. They've been largely available to the population for the six months. Boosters are starting to become more available to the population. You know, there is absolute truth that we have to live with this. I mean, again, we had a million, 1.5 million to 4 million people in Ontario that got COVID-19 over the last two months. Yeah. We are clearly living with it. You know, it, it's not great on our healthcare system, but the fact of the matter is the controls that we have aren't necessarily going to be perfect for the years to come. And vaccines are going to be our important tool to make sure that, that what we, we see is not represented in healthcare more than anything else. And so, again taking away the political context around vaccines, taking away the divisiveness around vaccines, you know, being there to, to offer vaccines to make sure patients are trusted and trusting public health with their vaccines is important. And, you know, there's going to be another vaccine probably down the line that may have better efficacy or an Omicron updated vaccine or a, a pan-coronavirus vaccine. That's probably the time where we want to leverage all of our assets. Do we want to push people aside right now make them more angry, make them more confrontational when in a few months we may need them back to help with COVID control when, when it really does matter more than, than today. If, uh, do you think we'll ever get 100% of the population vaccinated? No, I mean, you know, we don't... So why are we trying so hard, doctor? Yeah, you know, I mean, again, we, I think we, we worry about the health system strain. I think that's the major thing that's on our mind. We don't have 
healthcare systems. That can All right, let me stop you right there, doctor, and I don't mean to interrupt because um, you are the guest here, but to me, this is all a distraction, so we do not address exactly what you're talking about. We're no longer concerned about the dangers of COVID-19 to our person. It's about it, it's about crumbling our, our much-neglected hospital system, but it seems we're forcing the intention our attention on the small group of people who aren't vaccinated as opposed to the real issue here regarding law lockdowns and, and government overreach, it's trying to protect the healthcare system. So why don't we address, so why do we not address that a, a, instead of picking fights with each other? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, fixing the healthcare system is not an easy task. No. Right? It requires money. It requires a rethink of what we do in, in secondary care and hospitalizations. It requires thinking about, unfortunately, private solutions. And, and there's a lot of this that's on the table that really does need to be embraced. And absolutely, like the healthcare system was not healthy going into COVID-19. It's not healthy coming out of COVID-19, clearly. Um, but yeah, I agree. I, I think there is this overhang in all of our minds of what's going to happen to the hospitals and, and how that affects, you know, how I'm able to interact with people and, and my ability to go to a restaurant, uh, even if people, again, do the right thing, get vaccinated or, or don't. You know, I think we have to think about solutions of, you know, aggressively getting vaccines in the populations that are disproportionately affected. You know, our work at St. Joe's is trying to get therapeutics into patients uh, who are, you know, not vaccinated or at highest risk of complications, even with the vaccine. You know, those are the things we need to double down on. It isn't about this divisiveness. And again, I agree with you. I mean, you know, the, the, the way of living with COVID-19 does mean health system's capacity to deal with surges of respiratory tract infections that we see in every year to another degree. Uh, and there are fundamental issues that need to come to our healthcare system as part of this. What advice do you have, doctor, to Canadians at this point of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I think for all of us, if you're, you know, if you're eligible for the next dose, get the next dose. Um, you know, uh, be cognizant of the people in your lives that may not have as much protection from the vaccines. Um, if you're one of these people that is at highest risk of complications, either, you know, an older person that's not been vaccinated or someone who's immunocompromised, get tested early because we can actually add another layer of protection to your lives with the treatments coming down there. Um, and I, I think people do need to think about their personal risk in all of this. Yes, an 18-year-old probably does need to be able to live a normal life if they've had three doses of vaccines or two doses of vaccines in Omicron. All of these things are, you know, trust events, right? And, and I think we need to have trust in the healthcare system. We need to have trust in our governments. They're going to protect us. Um, and similarly, we need to have trust in each other that, that you know, all of us will do the right thing. And, and really, that's getting vaccinated getting tested appropriately, and again, not necessarily worrying about, you know, which restriction is, is best, this or that, you know, we'll have to have and flow, but as long as we can maintain trust, that's going to be the most important thing. Great advice. Dr. Zane Chagler with us, infectious disease specialist with St. Joseph's Hospital and associate professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases, Department of Medicine, McMaster University. Doctor, thanks so much for the time. Be well. All the best. Take care. This country needs a conservative party that is both an intellectual force and a governing force. Canadians deserve a government that delivers exemplary management with a foundation based upon values and our decency as a country. What Canadians deserve from a Conservative Party is balance, ideas, and inspiration. All right, that is 
Former leader of the Federal Conservative Party, Aaron O'Toole, on his way out the door, giving a parting speech. It's 537. I'm Scott Thompson. It's Hamilton Today. It's 900 CHML. On the board is Will Erskine. And in the newsroom is Diana Weeks and Lisa Pulaski. Feel free to jump into the conversation. Send us a note, Scott Thompson, at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. So I'm sitting here and I'm watching uh, all the different news feeds while I'm talking to you. Yeah, it can be distracting. Um, so they're building structures in Ottawa down, down on the protest site. That's what happens when things keep going after a day or two uh, and nothing is resolved. And, you know, um, to me, uh, there doesn't seem to be a solution at this point unless you want to go in there and start kicking rear end. And I don't think anybody wants to do that. Clearly, the Ottawa police have said, uh, I'm not sure there's more we can do from a policing standpoint. Uh, talked about calling in the army. The prime minister ruled out that. Well, what's next? And why would you just not talk to them? Why would you, even just from a symbolic standpoint, to somehow lower the temperature? Now they're building structures there. And, you know, I'm watching an interview of the Ottawa mayor during uh, the newscast, and he was constantly asked, like, how are you going to end this? And he never answered the question. He just kept pointing to the people who were doing this, doing that, and doing the other. And then he went on to say that he met with the people from the GoFundMe page, uh, not the organizers, the trucker or the convoy organizers, but the actually GoFundMe company, trying to get them to freeze the assets of the page. Well, you're meeting with them. Why would you not? And, you know, you don't have to go down there and, and have a coffee with them right on the grounds. Uh, you don't have to go down there and take a knee. You know, off-site, secure site. Like, at least meet with them. Where is this going if you don't at least do that? And I'm not sure with the comments I've heard from the Ottawa mayor today um, that he really has any idea what to do other than they're doing this, they're doing that, they're doing, well, we know what they're doing. What are you going to do to stop it? Uh, the police have thrown up their arms and the prime minister's not helping you and the army's not coming. So what are you going to do? It would seem to me, let's talk. I don't know. At least it's a start. The, the You know, the demands are extreme, but they always are. The solutions are in the middle. So I, I just, they're, they're building houses now down there. So, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I think you got to get out there. I think you got to get out there and uh, try to get some sort of control over this situation. All right. Uh, lots to talk about with Peter Gray, professor, uh, professor of political science, McMaster University, including uh, uh, O'Toole being out and a new interim leader installed in the Conservative Party, that being Candace Bergen. Peter Gray is with us now. Peter, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am, thanks. Your thoughts, Peter, should somebody meet with these people? Like, what's the next step here? Well, I mean, I guess the first question, who is these people? Uh, you know, there are a few organizers, but it really seems to be a pretty almost headless organization. I understand um, that, Peter, but that is no reason not to do nothing. You've got to at least send intelligence. There must be intelligence on the ground. They must know who is leading the pack, who isn't. The people on the ground would know that. Why is there not somebody from somebody's, uh, fr- from the prime minister's office or, or the mayor's office or somebody coming out and trying to at least symbolically resolve this? Well, I mean, I'm not really sure what's to resolve. I mean, most of the specific complaints that are brought forward were issues in the previous uh, federal election campaign. 
uh, you know, the we tend to make light of the manifesto that uh, the leaders of this organization uh, put out, and you know, with good reason, because it seemed, you know, a bit odd that they were calling on the Senate and the Governor General essentially to depose our sitting government and rule. But I mean, you know, given what is, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, a form of demanding an overturning of our democratic state. You know who's really going to meet with them and say, "Okay, well, let's negotiate this." I mean, it's, it's is really that every, like you're giving you, up too much. Do you uh, believe that that's I am everybody that we in there? Seen politicians come out and really, you know, in a sense, say, "Well, this is illegitimate, right?" You know, we we hear what you're saying. There's a process. Uh, there's a democratic process to hear it. I mean, you you cave and you demonstrated. Uh, you know, that's fine. But you know, clogging up the city and causing this cost to you know, the people living here is going to require a response in terms of applying uh, laws. And that's the part I'm I'm more surprised at. So to me, is it conversations that's needed? No, I think what's needed is ultimately some way of applying law uh, again to police it, because it's common to have these demonstrations in Ottawa. But saying that you're just going to sit there and not leave until, you know, the government changes its policy or until you get that kind of negotiation uh, you know, to set that kind of precedent, I think would have a pretty important impact on on, on how these things are dealt with. Doesn't many don't many groups that come to Ottawa to protest say the same sort of things? Same sort of things. I mean, maybe not with Nazi flags and 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 Confederate flags, and nobody agrees with any of that. Um, but people always come to these discussions with outlandish ideas and things that can't be done. I mean, you know, the, these are you know the vaccine mandates between Canada and the United States. So there's a whole other country involved here. I don't think people are looking at that. It's like, how do you tone down the rhetoric? How do you bring down the temperature? And unfortunately, uh, that vocal minority is getting all of the attention. But again, do you just say, well, those are just a bunch of deplorables, so we don't bother with them? I mean, I think there's a fundamental difference in this case. It's a group of people who say we're coming and we're not leaving until the law changes. As opposed to most demonstrations, I think right, the Peter- right or the left would show up and say, we disagree with the law and we're going to put pressure on it, right? We're bringing the public's regard on the fact that you're you're, you're supporting this law. But ultimately, they're relying on the normal democratic process to push through. But in this case, what we really have is a loss of what we might call loser's consent. Right. That when you lose an election, right, you realize that, you know, you've lost that election. It doesn't mean you give up on your ideals, but it's not like you feel that you can, you know, determine the the levers of the state. So I think there's a pretty significant difference here. I can't think of any demonstration in my, you know, in my lifetime where people get there and kind of stay there uh, with the insistence that laws change. Well, I guess the, the exception would be the sort of the anti-nuclear protest on Parliament till the 1980s. But again, which ultimately ended with the uh, dismantling of that camp and the arrest of the people uh, involved in it. So Ottawa police have said there's not much they can do. Is it calling in the military? Well, I mean, presumably uh, there was poor planning on order side ahead of this, you know, as if they were surprised at what happened, which is, you know, a real kind of, I think, gross failure in the policing. Um, but, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, they, yeah, they claim that it's out of their hands, but it seems to me strange that they don't have a capacity to regroup and find some way, uh, to ultimately begin applying things like, you know, building codes and fire codes, uh, traffic rules, uh, you know, things which they seem to be able to apply in most times. So again, I, I'm not entirely sure why they feel that they're completely incapable of, uh, you know, beginning to, if you like, nickel and dime these protesters.
Do you think that there's anything to lose by at least talking to them? And then you can say, you know what, we've tried to talk to them and they still seem to be these really fringe elements. Now we're going to have to use force. But it seems doing that prior to having some sort of sit down, it it just seems um, we're not listening. Well, I mean, it seems to me that uh, the message has been delivered pretty loud and clear. You know, the issue for these protesters is that they're not getting their way, right? That ultimately that our democratically elected officials have decided that they aren't changing uh, just because there's these very angry people there. So, you know, in that instance, again, really what's to negotiate? I mean, I think the bigger political. How do you know until you try? I mean, what's the harm in trying here, Peter? I mean, at least, and then at least the prime minister has an out. You know what? I, I tried to meet with them. I tried to whatever. You know, here's what we got. So we're going in. Like, I mean, to to just like not even to paint everyone with the same brush. And, and again, I, you know, I, I think this has gone beyond vaccination and what their mandate was. It's become a metaphor for frustration and freedom. So I don't understand what's to lose by. Uh, just going and meeting with them before you bring in the soldiers. Well, I mean, you could argue that there would be a strategy of going and being intransigent with them. And presumably that would play pretty well across a big piece of the political spectrum, right? Including, I mean, I think here, you know, the conservatives are a bit uh, exposed to the extent that, you know, they they don't seem to really be about protecting uh, the law and order uh, or of protecting the people who are being inconvenienced by, uh, you know, this kind of behavior. So, yeah, I mean, you could see the benefits for uh, a kind of law and order stand, uh, you know, of not really meeting with, but really just going to read the riot act to uh, yeah. organize the organizers. But yeah, I mean, the, again, I, I really don't see what there is to negotiate if in, in the context of negotiation and to listen to, well, it's not as if we haven't heard, uh, you know, many different ways, what these organizations and organizers stand for and want i mean there's things we've been hearing for the past two years and i think we've heard a lot of demonstrations for that i think we've heard a lot of stuff from the media i'm not sure that the two parties have gotten down and said too much and 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 again i i just don't understand why you wouldn't do that at this point but i I get your points peter peter grafe with us professor of political science mcmaster university thanks as always it is 547 news coming up at the top of the hour with diana weeks what are you looking at diana a massive drug bust involving Hamilton police. Ontario's top doctor says there needs to be a societal discussion about how we can move forward and live with COVID-19 and more snow expected overnight into tomorrow morning. More on all these stories coming up at 6. Lots of chatter about what's going on in Ottawa. Man, they're erecting structures down there now. This should have never gone on as long as it has for various reasons. And I honestly do not understand why somebody, some government official, whether it's the prime minister or it doesn't even have to be him, send a lackey down there and and find out who the main people are. Because right now all we're hearing from the media is, well, they want this, they want that, they want this, they want that, they want this, they want, they want us to turn everything around that we haven't already had, they want us to change laws, they want to blah, 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 blah. Why don't we listen to them? And again, well, who is them? We don't know because nobody's talking to them. So we certainly know about the people that are peeing on statues. We certainly know about the people that are flying Nazi flags and Confederate flags. But what about everybody else? And who's listening to them? And, you know, you have the Ottawa police saying that, uh, oh, I don't think there's much more we can do here, kids. 
You got the Ottawa mayor refusing to answer a question of how it's going to end. He won't meet with them, meeting the truckers, but he is meeting with a GoFundMe company to try to get the page stopped, which I guess is interesting. But if you're meeting with them, why would you not meet with the people that are causing the problem? And again, I don't think it's going to solve anything, but at least it's a symbolic gesture that you are listening to the other side. And then maybe we can move forward on this. And I think the only reason the prime minister is not doing that is because there's nothing in it for him personally. Nothing in it for Justin Trudeau to hold out an olive branch and get this thing out of the way. Nothing in it for him. Lots in it for Ottawa. Lots in it for the country. Lots in it to unite people. But it does nothing for the uh, the prime minister's brand. Instead, it's better if this all gets out of hand and he blames it on everybody else, whether it's the conservatives, whether it's uh, rednecks from the United States, whatever. But when things get to this point... You've got to get down and talk to people. You can't just hide in your ivory tower. And again, I mean, what's the solution? The mayor of Ottawa has no solution. His police department have no solution. The prime minister is just saying, well, not my fault. Maybe it's the province's responsibility, just like everything else is. You know, it's incredible. The prime minister should get his arse down there. And maybe that's extreme, but perhaps get his staff and his intelligence people down there to find out who is the big kahunas and then get to meet with them in a secret location that's secure. But do something. Instead, he's just sitting there and pointing fingers at people. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. He's coming on after uh, the 6 o'clock news. Should the Prime Minister, should somebody from the Prime Minister's office at least make some sort of symbolic gesture here? Well, uh... How do you solve things, Scott, if you don't talk? The answer to that question, I think, is um, when there have been other protests on Parliament Hill, has someone from the government gone out to get involved. We're not even on Parliament Hill. And I, and I can think of one very public protest in the last little while where... Um, to me, that sounds like passing the buck, Scott. No, no, no. I'm saying where they all, where everybody took a knee, and I remember the Prime Minister being right in the middle of it. And um, so, you know, whether it's him or whether it's someone else, um, look, y- y- you touched on it a second ago. We've said this a bunch of times in our little chats here. This is partially a health issue, this whole COVID thing, but it's also become a political thing because yep. people have drawn lines. And I think you're right. That I, don't th- I don't think the government right now sees any upside to even giving an inch or even listening, as you say, because, you know, and... and it's not about on- Ottawa. It's not about Canada. It's about protecting their image. Yeah, but, you know, shame on the handful, and it is a handful. Yes, I agree. Shame on the handful who carried the Nazi flags and did all those things. Yes. But it's very easy. The minute that the first Nazi flag, the first swastika shows up, you can now say the entire group are a bunch of rogue, hillbilly, you know, whatever, and we don't have time for this. A bunch of deplorables, and you run away. A bunch of deplorables. And look... You know, you talk about the brand. Deplorable is such an interesting word because I do recall a couple of U.S. elections ago, Hillary Clinton was doing pretty well in the polls, and then she called all of the middle of America the basket of deplorables. And suddenly everyone said, wait a second, that's what she thinks of us? And all of a sudden, if you go back and look, her polls took a giant hit. Look, I don't, I don't know that Trudeau had to do it, but I do think 
it could not have hurt at the beginning for them to say, let's talk. And you may have disagreed, and this thing may have gone the exact same way it did. And you don't have to have said you were being supportive. You're just going to say, look, there's however many thousand people. Um, yeah. They want to talk to someone. Let's talk. And, and, and you know, but now, Scott, there's no way now. Now, the, the second the swastika came out from one person or two people or whatever it is, it, there was no way that the brand was going to be touched by that. You know what, Scott? If they don't talk, it's going to turn violent because that's the only way to get rid of them. Because that's what the mayor's saying. That's what the PM's saying. Police can't handle it. Military's not coming in. Well, then what's going to happen? We need some leadership. If they don't talk, if the prime minister's office or somebody from the government doesn't get down there and try to cool things down, it will get ugly. And instead of doing that, they're going to wait and see, see, not our fault. Look what happened. Nah, 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 nah. And I think people are tired of the lack of leadership from this prime minister. I'll let you finish off. No, I, I think that there is, uh, there is great, um, there is great status or, or position or whatever it is um, in being, I don't want to say victim. That's not the right thing. But if this thing does go south, and if, if the people who linger, if it does end up going wrong, um, you know, those who have said we won't talk to them will suddenly be able to play that for all it's worth. Absolutely. And that's what we're going to see. All right, Scott, thanks for the time. Uh, Scott Radley Show coming up after the 6 o'clock news. You can read them in your Hamilton Spectator. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's a wrap for us. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Will Erskine for producing and Diana Weeks and Lisa Pileski in the newsroom. As always, we leave it to you. Well, maybe not necessarily this time for the last word. Well, all the snow that's been falling over the last little while, I mean, this is supposed to be Canada, and I can't even make a snowman. I don't understand why it's not packing snow. I tried to roll a snowball. doesn't work. It just crumbles in my hand. So maybe we could put an order in for some better snow. I don't know. 